Find the strength that you seek. Dig deep. Dig deep. What is going on, Far Down Breakdown? And tonight we are joined by our homie, Brian Daniels from the legendary hardcore band, Madball. Brian, Mitch, Daniels, what is going on, my friend? How are you, man? Good, good. So typically we jump right into the music talk, but you're a big Ranger fan and it is so relevant you guys are like building an NHL, like EA Sports team. <laughs> yeah, like this is like what a twelve-year-old can accomplish on like EA Sports. Somehow the Rangers have pulled it off. Like, how are you feeling about this? I, I, I'm really excited. The only thing is, is there's about four other, five other teams that are doing the same thing. Um, you know, you got Boston's lost eight games all year. And they added three really good guys in, in the last week. Um, Tampa's adding guys. And, you know, we all know how scary they are. The Devils got Timo Meyer. Um, Toronto added a bunch of guys. So it's like the East is just going to be terrifying. Like, yeah. you know, we've got the best team that I can remember the Rangers having since the 90s. And we might get bounced. I have no idea. I feel like that's how a lot of people feel right now. You know, I I texted a few of my my Ranger friends, and they pretty much all feel the same way, where Mm -hmm. they're just not overly confident. Like, in a normal year, you'd be like, yep, sign it. Like, we got the cup. But like you mentioned, every team in the East is stacking up. Is stacking up. And it kind of makes me wonder, like, at being an Islander fan, as Lou Lamorello is watching this happen (laughs) – like, are because technically the trade deadline's tomorrow. Are the Islanders going to like change their game plan and like realize like you know I don't think we can compete this year. Like maybe we should sell a few pieces. I really don't know where they're sitting at this point. Yeah, I think it's definitely. If I was if I was Lou Lamorel, I'm being objective because I'm obviously a Ranger fan and yeah, I can't stand the Islanders. <laughs> but. uh if I was Lou Lamorell, I'd consider selling. You know, you get you're gonna you're gonna put you're gonna be a buyer for the sake of trying to squeak into the last spot and then hope for you know some kind of an upset. Or do you do you call it a day and say, all right, we'll be back next year and stronger when it's not such a crazy field? Yeah. I feel like this this year, like especially within the playoffs, it's either gonna be one of the teams in the East is going to blow out every other team or the Western conference is going to keep the Stanley cup because the East is going to destroy each other throughout the entire playoffs with how many excellent teams are going to be in the, in, in like the fighting for the Eastern conference title. I I tend to think though, that, that when, by the team, by the time a team gets to the finals, yeah, that means that they're peaking 
you know, the team that wins the Stanley Cup wins it because they peaked at the right time. Mm-hmm. There's 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 nine, ten teams that are worthy of winning the Stanley Cup in the league at any given moment. And whenever you see a team that wins it, like Colorado last year, uh, I dominant. You know, like I have the utmost respect for Tampa. Um, they just had a machine over there. They won two in a row. Um, they had the best defenseman on the planet in head mm-hmm. in Hedman. Um, the best goalie on the planet in Vasilevsky and, you know, crazy forwards all up front that are all like that perfect combination of grit and finesse. And I just never saw any chinks in their armor by any means. And all of a sudden they got to the finals. And by the end of that series, they didn't know what, what hit, hit them. Like they, I've never seen a team look so flustered. I'd never seen them look flustered. Mm-hmm. They just couldn't handle that attack. And Colorado, again, they just built it and built it and built it. And they, by the time they got to the finals, they were a buzzsaw. Yeah, yeah that was it, such a dominant team. Oh, oh. And, 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 and it goes to show they haven't been that good this year. That was just that moment in time for them where they just, everything was clicking. Yeah, and I I think that's what makes hockey kind of special is because you can have an eight seed go on and win the Stanley Cup as long as they do exactly what you said, where they they catch a hot goalie, their team just starts buzzing at the right time. And and truthfully, that's kind of what happened with the Islanders when they went to the back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals. I'm not talking about like the dynasty era. I'm talking about like recently. Recently. I, I really was ready to write that team off like before the bubble and the COVID thing happened because they were on a really steady decline. Like they were losing like every other game and they regrouped after, you know, the, the return to play and they just caught it at the right time. And, and yeah. that's why they were able to go that far. I don't think they were the best team in, in you know, one of the best in the Eastern Conference, but they, they caught it at the right time. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that that team got on a roll that those uh, those runs. Yeah, they sure did. But uh, I, I I would just love to hear because you you mentioned how you, you hate the Islanders and I, I feel like it's with that rivalry it's a little vice versa where Islander fans tend to like really hate Ranger fans, but my friends who are Ranger fans I don't know if they necessarily hate the Islanders. Like I, I feel like they hate other teams that kind oh. of. Wow, I mean, you know, it, to me, it's a generational thing. Like, I'm old enough to remember those four cups, mm-hmm. and I grew up on Long Island here, at the height of that. You know, that was when I was in my, you know, uh, grade school like years, and I was a Ranger fan. I was one of about six Ranger fans in my entire school, so we were getting murdered. You know, and and th- I always kind of use this as an example when people talk about, oh, I hate this team or I hate that team. You don't know what hate is until you spend four straight years having your biggest rival win the Stanley Cup and go through you two out of those four years and, you know, just getting just tortured and tortured and tortured and tortured for being this you know, nowadays with the way everybody's so sensitive about bullying and about, uh, you know, feelings and all that, I I wouldn't have had such a rough time. But this was this was back before any of that. Yeah. I had a I had an I had a teacher 
that was an Islander fan that turned the whole class on me. I'd walk in the room for the social studies class, sixth period or whatever, and he'd have the whole class screaming at me. And I, I, okay, you know, well, that's my team. You know, I'm not changing it. Um, so, so yeah, I suffered. But I, I, suffered. Feel, I, I feel like I can relate because then I'm the next generation where in 1994, I'm in elementary school and everyone around me were Ranger fans. And, right. and it like flipped where it was really hard to find other people who were Islander fans. Yeah. And that was and then, a bandwagon effect too. Yeah. Of yeah. course. Every, every team has that. And then, uh, you know, obviously right after you guys go on to win the Stanley Cup, the Islanders go in like the opposite direction and turn into a dumpster fire pretty much like my whole entire childhood until I was like basically in high school. Yeah. Yeah, that was a long stretch. You guys were about 20 years of, of uh, depression. Yeah. Really I can at, at my age now. I can be objective. Like, you know, I hate the Islanders. I'll go on record as saying that. But I have so many friends that are that are diehard Islander fans that I can be objective. And growing up on, you know, being from Long Island here, I loved going to the Coliseum. Um, mm-hmm. It's you know, it's it's twenty five minutes away as opposed to an hour and change to go to the Garden. Um, I love hockey so much that. I'll go to an Islander game because it's kind of my chance to just sit back and just watch a game for the players and focus on guys and not really so much looking at the full play. Like I'm just looking at, Oh wow. Watch him, you know, watch him skate, watch the way he reads the play, watch this guy. Um, So, you know, I really enjoyed that. Um, You know, I, the rivalry when they play each other, it's a different story. I get pretty hyped up. I want that win. <laughs> now, now, have have you seen uh, the way Dennis Potvin had has twisted the, yes. the whole Potvin sucks chant yeah. into making kudos Potvin. to him? I Potvin's. love that. I almost bought a pair of those just out of respect. That's pretty funny. There's nothing better than a guy because he didn't originally take things with uh, such a good sense of humor. He used no. to get pretty upset because we were digging into his personal life, and uh, it's all fair game, buddy. You know, like you're gonna step out there make all that money. We're going to get on you. Um, and, uh, but now he's showing to be a good sport about it. So I respect that. Yeah. It, when, when I saw that, you know, that he came out with us, I was like, that is just unbelievable. I love it so much. And Justin, I'm not, I'm not sure if you're too familiar with the story being no. an outsider, but Dennis Potvin look like has his own line of socks now. Yeah. And they're just called Potvin socks because the Rangers have like a historic chant. They, do you guys even do it? Like when you're not playing the Islanders? Every, I, I've heard that at baseball games. I'm not even going. <laughs> That's insane. I've heard it at baseball games. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, you know, it, 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 it kind of makes me a hypocrite for laughing at that. Cause I do love, I do make fun of Islander fans for like, I always say that like the second priority at an Islander game is the team they're playing. And, you know, the first priority is for us to start chanting Rangers suck. Like, <laughs> I've heard Rangers suck at Islander games when you guys are playing, like, uh, Florida. You know, like, come on. Is that, that's, I'm like, that's inferiority complex if I've ever seen it. But the, and so the pop and sucks thing is what my friend throws in my face. He's like, oh, you guys do that when we're not playing us. All right. Touche. But, uh, 
that's been going on for since I was, you know where that comes from, right? The, the history of that. To, no. to be honest, no. So he he took out. Um, I believe it was in the '79 playoffs. He took out uh, Ulf Nielsen, right? Ulf Nielsen. Uh, we had Anders Hedberg. Ulf, I believe it was Ulf Nielsen. Um, when we had a couple of Swedes um, that were some of the first Swedes to come over into the NHL. And uh, he hit him with a hit that, you know, our side thought was dirty. Your guys' side didn't think, everyone thought that was a clean check. But it uh, it broke his ankle uh, on the play. And he was Ooh. out for the rest of the season. And, and you know, so it just became that, you know, he was hated for that that hit. Okay. Now, to be completely honest, like, because it's not so easy for – you know, people my age to even access some of those like dynasty era games because like technology wasn't really there. Like, would you say that Dennis Potvin was a dirty player, or like when you look back on it, was it really a, a dirty hit? Uh, no, I don't. It wasn't a dirty hit, and I wouldn't say he was a dirty player. The game was tougher back then. The game was everybody had a harder edge to them back then and he was a defenseman so he had to have that angle i mean that was what made the guy a hall of famer you know he could mm-hmm. play every aspect of the game he could he could skate and control the game and and wheel and deal and go on the offense but but he was he took care of his own end as good as anybody um you know i'm i could give him all the compliments in the world again i'm a, uh, in my old age i get objective um <laughs> I, I do think this. I, I I do think Islander fans over overrate him a little bit. I think he's he's in the top uh, ten in the history of the game. I've heard Islander fans say they think he's the best. Uh, you know, and then you you know you're gonna throw him ahead of Bobby Orr. Okay, there's a little there's a little uh, mis misperception going on right there. I think Ray Bork. Uh, you know, I don't think Dennis Potvin could even touch Ray Bork. Um, but he was obviously a great, great, great player. Won four Stanley Cups, captained the team to four Stanley Cups. Um, yeah, like no 300 player. goals or something too, right? Yeah, he was he, he a was, shit ton of goals. You know, Bobby Orr, Bobby Orr broke the mold. Bobby Orr yeah. was the one that was was <laughs> defenseman before Bobby Orr stayed back on the blue line. They, You know, that was it. They stayed home. And then all of a sudden this kid comes in and he's, he's circling the ice. He's doing 360s around the rink. Um, and, and he's like a forward. And then after that, you had guys that, you know, that changed the game. That paved the way for Ray Bork, uh, Dennis Potvin, Paul Coffey, um, you know, all those guys that were offensive defensemen. That didn't exist until the until the 70s. I love hearing Paul Coffey. Even though I'm like a, a diehard Islander fan, like those early 90s Penguins teams were, were fun too. Yeah. And he he fit right in. Oh, yeah. But he was an oiler. You know, he was that guy had the best of, uh, you know, imagine that guy. He went from Wayne Gretzky feeding him the late trailing pass to Mario Lemieux feeding him the late trailing pass. I, yeah. My father took me, I was still young enough to, you know, have him taking me to games. I remember when the Pens first got Paul Coffey, and my father took me to a Ranger game against the Penguins, and he's like, watch this guy. He's like, this is their new defenseman, and watch him interact with Lemieux. You know, they're going to be one hell of a one two punch. And they were. Yep. So um, 
you, you mentioned how you used to love to go to the games at the Coliseum. Have you been able to catch a game at UBS Arena yet? Yes. Yes. I, I was uh I went to the first Rangers Islanders there. Nice. Um, I, I I went to the uh first Rangers Islanders at Barclays and I went to the first one at UBS. Um uh, I didn't see the first Rangers Islanders at the Coliseum, but you know, I was way too young. But uh yeah, I made a point of it to get to that one. That was one where I was like, I don't care what I got to pay. I'm getting into that game. So what are what are your thoughts on the arena as an outsider? We love it. I love it. I, I Again, you know, objectivity here and, and in my old age, um, I, I had season tickets for the Rangers for 27 years. Um, Madison Square Garden, when I, before they renovated it, I liked it. Um, cause we had the balcony of the, what used to be the blue seats and we were in the front row of the blue seats and perfect sight line. And then when they renovated it in 2012 to 13, um, I, they made it all one level and they made my seat really narrow and the sight line wasn't as good. I'm six foot three. If there was anybody sitting in front of me that wasn't a child, I had to be doing this to see over them. I had to be like craning my neck, um, which really frustrated me. And then the prices were going up and up and up, um, which made me give up my tickets eventually after 27 years. Um, But I'll say I always loved going to Nassau Coliseum because the sight lines were impeccable. Very steep, very steep uh, terraces. there's not a bad seat in that place. And it was a little smaller than most arenas. And the same thing with UBS. They got that place perfect. I mean, the one game I went to, we sat very low down to the ice. Well, we walked around there during the pre-skate, and I checked out angles from all over the place. It's, they got it perfect. It's a yeah. really nice building. And, and it's kind of crazy because when you walk up to it from the outside, it's so underwhelming. Like, it, it doesn't really look like it's much. Like it, really? It's, you know, the, just the brick and, and like it kind of seems small, like you mentioned, you know, with the Coliseum. But then when you get inside like that main like Grand, Grand Central entrance, yes, then your eyes are just like, holy cow, like this is. I think it grand. looks pretty goddamn big to me, man. I, I've been to a lot of hockey arenas. Uh, the Coliseum was small, but the, that UBS, that's big, man. That's a big building. You ever fly over it? A lot of times when you're coming into JFK. Go right over the top of it. It looks big from up there. Does it? Okay. Yeah, I haven't flown over it yet. Yeah. So, I, and I've only been to one game because I I live in Charlotte, North Carolina now. So I, I went home for the holidays and was able to finally catch a game. But I, I I really think that they listened to some of the complaints about the Coliseum and really just yeah, they they knocked it out of the park. They they did for sure. And it's, it's just so nice to not have to have any more arena conversations like, oh, you're, you're, you're going to lose the Islanders. You don't have a building. You're going to play between two different arenas and bounce around. And it was, it was, it was tough to, to have to listen to opposing fans just rip you about that. Cause what are you supposed to say to that? Like, uh, yeah, I used to call you guys homeless. Yeah. <laughs> or if you're like, oh, the homeless Brooklynites. You got no barn. Yep. And, that, I, place, I, I that was, place was terrible for hockey, uh, for a lot of the seats. There were de- some decent seats in there. If you were in the lower bowl, I mean, that upper deck was like on the moon. 
Yeah. I, what I've only I only caught I think like three or four games at Barclays, and I knew like the the seats to avoid. So I, I like the sight lines that I had weren't bad, and going from you know the Coliseum to then like a new building, it just like seemed nice, even though there was like nothing in that building that was like Islanders specific. No, like, no. <laughs> walking into Barclays, you would think like. Is this like just a neutral site? It really felt like a neutral site. Yeah, yeah, it kind of was. And, yeah. You know, you guys had the happy ending. You guys kept the team on Long Island, got your arena. Nassau County approved it, which is, you know, there's a lot of there was so much politics in that. You know, Nassau County property taxes are like four billion dollars a square inch. So the you can't blame the people for voting down arena proposals when they're talking about using public money to build it like i don't blame people for not wanting that that aren't diehard hockey fans so Mm -hmm. yeah and it just makes you wonder like could that have gotten done earlier if like charles wang's plan wasn't as elaborate as it was like the the original lighthouse project was just like too much yeah like if he scaled it down just a little bit it probably would have gotten best yeah but I digress. So um, would you say as a Ranger fan, like that 94 season is your like all time, like pinnacle of being a, a Ranger fan? Oh, of course. Of course. I mean, that was, uh, you know, I had had my seasons for about uh, three, four years then. And I just caught the crest of that wave. I remember us getting Messier in 91 and, uh, you know, just building towards that team. And, um, yeah, that was the greatest hockey experience of my life. Um, I, you know, I had my seasons, so I went to every home game. We went to a ton of road games that year in the playoffs. That first round against the Islanders, I went to every game. Went to both games at the Garden and both games at the Coliseum. There was only four. Yep. And, and, uh, we and went that's down the reason to, we have the fishermen. We went down to D.C. for uh, one of those games out of the five. Um, caught a jersey game um, on the road. Uh, you know, I was young and and uh, uncommitted to a lot of stuff back then. So yeah, you can just drive there. anywhere. I had a lot of free free calendars, so let's do it. Love that. Yeah, but got to go to the parade. That yeah. was awesome. I think that's like the beauty of of the Northeast too. Like everything seems like it's far. But it's not very far when you actually kind of like drive over to to everything. So I think DC's what, like a six hour drive? Four. Four hour drive. Yep. Uh Philly's not that bad of a drive from New York. Two, two and change max. You can drive up and, and catch a game at T D Garden in Boston. It's a couple hours up north. That's four hours, yep. So I mean I've done them all. So like me coming from, from like Florida, especially like I, I grew up in Miami and then I moved to Orlando, like we have to drive eight, nine hours to go catch a game yeah. in, in Raleigh if we wanted to go catch Raleigh or Nashville or even yeah. if I wanted to go to South Florida and watch the, the the Panthers play, it's still like three and a half, four hours to get there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so you guys are kind of – and what's your team? You're Tampa, right? We're Tampa, yeah. So I'm only about an hour and a half from the stadium. But even that's kind of like a – I have to go down I-4, which is the dubbed the worst highway in America. <laughs> yeah, which is funny because uh, I got a thing called the BQE here. Yeah, so I'd like to challenge that uh, 
I don't know who came up with it, but it was, I think, both major highways in Florida, 95 and I-4 are on there. Yeah. I, I think it's just, like, it's not necessarily the highway. It's the, the people that drive. Because drive. I experienced it firsthand when we were trying to get down for the, the festival last year. Like, it just started to rain a little bit, and it was like these people had no idea how to drive anymore. Never saw rain before. Never saw rain before. It was awful. <laughs> so I guess, you know, kind of to tie this now into to music talk a little bit. So when did like the two worlds like kind of start to merge and you like had your hockey love and then your, your music love. And like, then you started to pursue music. Like, do you, do you have like a moment where you well, can kind I mean, of pinpoint that? I've been a musician my entire life. I played scholastically in school. I played the trombone. Um, and then I switched. I started playing bass first uh, as a teenager and then uh, moved over to guitar. So I've been a musician my whole life. That's been my, you know, my passion. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, you know, hockey was, uh, oh, I was, that's what I was laughing at. Hockey and all sports is like my... Anytime I'm on the road and I'm and somebody wants to meet me and because of the band and and whatnot, you know, you can only talk about hardcore so much with people. And I, I'll be like, oh, you know, yeah, I'll entertain this and that. And then, so what's your team? You know, and I'll swear <laughs> I would always switch it over to sports because you get me going on that and and then forget about it when when we would play in like the Scandinavian countries. Yeah. Oh man, I, I I would do about one or two sentences about the show and about how things went, and then as like, oh, come on, let's talk about Swedish Swedish players <laughs> yeah. or with Finland. Let's talk about the Finns, and I'd have guys in the bar till you know two in the morning, just screaming our heads off talking about hockey because those those countries they're so passionate about it. Yep. Because they're you know when your population is smaller than the population of some of our cities. And you get a guy that comes over here and is a star, that's a national hero. Yep. Oh, you know, yeah. Ask a ask someone from Sweden about uh Borja Salming or, or Peter Forsberg or or um Nick Lidstrom or one of those guys. You know, th- those guys, there's not a person in Sweden that doesn't know who those guys are. You gotta be a hockey fan in this country to know who oh, uh, yeah. Pavel Bore was or to know who uh you know Patrick Kane is. But, you know, in those countries, those those guys are, you know, they're on postage stamps. Those guys are on billboards and stuff like that. So I think Lundquist is probably the latest one to get thrown up on some type of currency. <laughs> he does, uh, does shampoo commercials over there. Yeah. He does like, uh, you know, yeah, he's a national treasure. It's going to be so different than to like then go to Manhattan and like be able to like kind of walk around and for the most part, be not, you know, unrecognized, at least maybe not so much with Lundquist. I think New Yorkers definitely would recognize him, but like yeah. for, on the other end of the spectrum, like Matt Barzell can walk around Manhattan and sure. no one would know who he was. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which That's is true. crazy. Most, <laughs> I mean, most hockey teams like that, most hockey, hockey players, are, unless you're, you know, one of the top five or six, I'd, I'd argue that Wayne Gretzky can walk through Manhattan and, and, most people aren't going to recognize him. I mean, you know, I, he's going to get it every now and again, but, you know. We had a funny story you said Gretzky because we actually had a former guest. He saw Gretzky at the Mall of Americas in 
in Minnesota, and he just screamed, Wayne Gretzky! Yeah. And nobody knew who he was until someone called Wayne Gretzky, and he was just like, everyone looked at him. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, they, they know everyone knows the name, but yeah. Nobody knows what he in- looks like. You take Wayne Gretzky in any Canadian city, that's a different thing. Oh, yeah. Thing. Yeah, that's different a different story. thing. For sure. I mean, that would be the same thing like like Stamkos in Tampa. Not a lot of people would recognize Stammer as much. But if he goes back to Toronto, where he's born and raised, he's all Absolutely. over the place. Absolutely. Love it. Absolutely. So um, before we dive into some, some more heavy music talk, I do have a quick word from our sponsor, DraftKings. So the action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. So make sure you're throwing down some bets on these Stanley Cup playoffs, which are right around the corner. And best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code THPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Awesome. So, Brian, I, I would love to hear kind of how you linked up with Madball because they've, like I said in the intro, you guys are historic, like in the New York hardcore scene, historic band um, that really started like in the early 80s or late 70s. So, like, by the time you joined it, you know, the band was already like vets and pros of the scene. So like, how, how did you link up with those guys and, and join the band? Sure. So, um, I'll go, go way back to the, the, how I met people and stuff. Um, I, I moved to New York city when I was 18, um, to go to school for, uh, audio recording. And I lived in Manhattan and, um, you know, having been a grown up as a huge metal and hardcore fan and going to, you know, hardcore shows. I was going to CBs since I was 15, 16 years old, um, going to shows on Long Island here. Um, we, uh, I, 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 you know, I knew the scene from that. So then living um, in the city ended up, you know, going out around that scene and, and, and meeting people and whatnot. Um, started meeting up with some bands that were active. Uh, one of the first bands that one of the guys I went to school with was in Sub Zero, uh, which is an old New York hardcore mm-hmm. band, still going. Um, and I knew those guys, and though they were having a little bit of success at that point, and so they were they were opening for uh, Madball, um, uh, Agnostic Front. You know, they would get they would get the occasional show, Life of Agony. I know they played with. Um, so I knew those guys and then just being around the scene, not just shows, but being around the East village and, and what people call the lower East side, which is actually the East village. Um, you know, just, um, starting to get to know guys and whatever. 
um, I ended up volunt- I ended up trying because I heard that they were looking for a guitar player for Crown of Thorns, um, which is a you know legendary New York hardcore band. Everybody's all friends. It's all part of the same uh, bunch of guys. Uh, Crown yeah. of Thorns, Agnostic Front, Madball. Um, so I ended up uh, in Crown of Thorns. Um, kind of on a cold tryout. Uh, a, a buddy of mine knew them, but I didn't know them. And then um, that was my first band. That was the first band I ever played in where I didn't have to like beg my friends to come to the show. You know, all of a sudden these guys, were, they were established by that point. They had a record out. Um, so playing for them for about six months. And then they made a decision to, they had done a side project called Scarhead. And then the singer um, decided to change Crown of Thorns. He said, okay, we're going to move this group of guys, we're gonna, but we're going to go with Scarhead now. So I, went, I got brought over with that. So then I was in Scarhead for um, on and off for about four years, during which time we did a bunch of tours um, with a bunch of bands, but we, we did several tours with Madball. And I got to know the guys like that. And... Around 2001, Madball ended up having a couple of guys uh, quit on them. Freddie and Hoya ended up having them, um, the guitar player and the drummer simultaneously quit. I think they got a little frustrated and were like, all right, that's it. We're, we're breaking this up because they'd been going for about six years at that point, seven years at that point, maybe more, actually. And... Um, they decided to break the band up and I reached out and I was like, Hey guys, look, if you don't have to like, I'm, I can fill in for this. If you guys need somebody, mm-hmm. um, I know I knew the music from touring with them and I knew I could learn what I didn't know. And at first they said, no, no, we're done. We're, we're frustrated. And I said, all right. And then uh, maybe a couple of months later, I get a call from them and they're like, Oh, we're going to do one last Europe tour. Um, do you want to come with us? And I, I said, oh, this is great. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just do a fill-in run with them. Um, and so at the beginning of 2001, which was when I bought, marked my beginning of the band with the band, and they'd been around about, they had four records out by that point yep. already. Um, I did a European tour with them. And then during the European tour, they got offered to go to Japan um, for a three-show thing. And then we got uh, CBGB's. We were going to do the last Madball show at CBGB's. And so we did that and the band broke up and that was that. Um, so from end of 01 through, uh, for uh, midway through 01 to midway through 02, the band was broken up. And then I think they started having second thoughts and realizing, well, maybe that wasn't the, the best decision to make. And, uh, Freddie called me one night and was like, Hey, uh, I'm starting, I'm starting this band. He's like, uh, maybe you'd want to play guitar. And, uh, I was like, huh? Yeah. What's it called? He's like a oh, mad ball. I was like, oh. <laughs> Guys, uh, you know, he got me on that one. So, uh, yeah. So then, you know, he, I joined the band, like actually joined as a member. Um, we got another drum, we got a drummer. Um, and, uh, it was, it took off from there. And I went, uh, 16 years after that. Um, did, uh, lost count, uh, four records, did four yeah. records with them, a couple of EPs, um, you know, toured all over the world. It was a great experience. So, uh, you know, probably the, the best ride of my life. 
Yeah, and, yeah, and the, you guys uh, landed on a bunch of like historic labels too mm-hmm. in, in that time frame. Like that's right. pretty epic as well. Like Epitaph, like that's unbelievable. Like yeah. that, that's like the the peak, right? Like at least well, in be- this genre that, of music. Epitaph was before me. That was they were on Roadrunner, and then they left Roadrunner and they did one record with Epitaph, and then um, that was Hold It Down was the name of that record, and then. That was 2000 and we didn't get anything out because of this breakup stuff and the, you know, the the turmoil and whatever. Um, First thing that we recorded as when I was actually in the band was an EP in 03. And then the first record we did um, was on a record, a label called Ferret Records. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Um, And we did two with Ferret and then Ferret re, re, Conglomerate into a thing called Good Fight, and we did one with Good Fight, and then the last record I did with the band in 2014, um, we did on Nuclear Blast, and the guys are still on Nuclear Blast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you started, you came into the band and and helped write Legacy. Yes, was was the first full album that you had done. Yes, nice. And then I uh, yeah, the I think the last one was 2014. You said was that what Hardcore Hardcore Lives. Correct. Okay. I'm like trying to remember like all the albums right now. It's like, wait a minute, I know these. Um it's it's just crazy. Like the 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 New York hardcore scene in general has been such an iconic for like it's you you can't you can't have hardcore without talking about New York. And everyone's everyone will say New York, Boston. For me, it's like all my favorite bands all came out from like the New York, even Long Island uh scene i would put both of them together and kind of like you know the the conglomerate of bands um throughout the years but uh i always i always come back to either the southern california hardcore or just new york hardcore in general but how how because you were you've been in the scene since you know like you said in the early 90s you were in a band with like danny diablo um and like kind of like talk about that because it's just it it's just really cool to to talk about i even remember like pirating uh new york uh hardcore because someone had taken it off like the vhs and uploaded it into like limewire or something and i ended up like downloading it and watching it just because i was like so like into everything that was going on um, sure. through new york well you know uh, uh dating myself here but, you know, going back to the mid 80s, which was when I was a, a young teenager, mm-hmm. um, you know, I liked metal. Yeah. And then I I had what I thought was hardcore. Like I had friends that were like, oh, check out uh, DRI and SOD and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. That was more crossover looking back on it. And then then there was a growing up on Long Island. There was a, a dude that I met who ended up being a lifelong friend who moved out from the city and first day I saw him, he was wearing a Metallica shirt. So I was like, Hey, bud, whoa, you like Metallica? So do I, you know, that's how you make friends in high school. Yeah. And uh, he had come from the city and he's like, Oh, that's not hardcore. He's like, I'll sh-. he had been going to CB CB's matinees since he was 13, you know, mm-hmm. he's like, that's not hardcore. He's like, hardcore is this. And he showed us agnostic front, the Chrome ags, um, the early, very early sick of it all when they were yeah. still uh doing like just a seven inch and shit like that um so 
So I started going to shows, you know, I started going to hardcore shows around 86, 87. Um, and, and all those bands, it's kind of one of the cooler parts of my career. All those bands that I ended up touring with and becoming family with, I was fans of, you know, like mm -hmm. I saw Agnostic Front at CB's in 86. Um, I saw Chromags at Lemoore in 87, uh, uh, bands like Token Entry, um, Raw Deal, which became Killing Time. Like that was my world. And I, I, I was a 50, 50, I was still a metal guy. Yeah. You know, I was, I was still, you know, Metallica, Iron Maiden, uh, Judas Priest, Black Sabbath. Um, I was going to, you know, one night I'd be at Nassau Coliseum seeing Dio. And then the next day we'd be at uh, the Right Track Inn seeing uh, a hardcore matinee, or we'd be going to CBGB's to see uh, the hardcore matinee. So I lived it both. I was the one guy, pretty proud of this. I was, I never, I never liked to follow trends, man. And in the in the '80s, the big thing in New York hardcore was the skinhead movement. Yep. I remember going to see Agnostic Front, and you could just count the bald heads going off into the crowd it was just skinhead after skinhead after skinhead and they all had the brand new docks and they all had the suspenders and they all had the acid wash jeans and then there was my big doofy ass there with my aussie hair i had long hair you know like and i was wearing a denim jacket with all the bands written on it in marker yeah um and i went to every show because i I didn't, I didn't care i was like this is what i like and i'm not trying to look like somebody else i want to look like me mm -hmm. it's funny that you brought that up too because i i feel like the uh like in general the, the hardcore scene has had so many of these different movements whether it's the skinheads or whether it was youth crew or you know shit like uh like fsu like throughout like kind of like the 90s you always had these different weird kind of movements throughout the hardcore scene and it's always cool to to talk to somebody who's considered like i would i would consider you're an og uh, just talking about like how you grew up and 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 you were just like no I'm not like that like I listened to you know Metallica and all this other shit and then I got yeah. I was also into all this but I created my own style I paved my own way which I think is like the in, in essence what what I think is always like the 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 core value of you know the hardcore scene overall is like it can for yourself. it can be and it should be yeah there's always been a, a level of uh, of trendy trends and mm -hmm. and, and it, 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 it's it's made me sick back then and it makes me sick now <laughs> you know i'm not going to name any bands because every band that i would ever say was a buzz band or a trend band yeah are great dudes number one and they're great bands mm -hmm. but i just remember like you know i'm just going to say band x yeah you know i remember back when band x became the hottest thing in the world and I'm not even going to tell you a year, but it's like you go to a show and it's the law that you have to be wearing one of their shirts, boy. And when they play, you better, I, I compare it to like Kim Jong-un in, in North Korea. In North Korea. Like if you, when you're in his presence, if you're not in tears and losing your mind, you might disappear after that. You better <laughs> show. And I've just seen these people that are like, Oh, you're gonna jump off the thing? Well, I'm gonna do this. You, you think you like them? I that that stupid like keep that up one with the up is. Oh yeah, you like them? This record? I didn't like that record. I had the demo. Oh yeah, you had the <laughs> demo? Well, I saw them here before you ever knew about them. 
And that, that shit is so... It's that hipster culture is what it is. So corny. Corny, corny, <laughs> corny. You like what you like, and you like it because you like it. Mm-hmm. And not because the other guy's wearing the shirt. Not because you heard this is the new band that everybody's got to lose their mind over. Um, it's just that stuff. I hated it when I was 15, and I hate it now as a, as a middle-aged adult. I can't stand that. That trendy competition. I hate that gatekeeping bullshit. I don't know if we're allowed to swear on this. No, you're fine. Okay. Um, I hate that. Like, oh, you're not allowed to like this band because you weren't around because blah, blah, blah. I hated that. Um, I hate it. We all did. We hated that uh, American hardcore book and movie because that book and movie was about a bunch of bitter old timers that were in the scene for three fucking years and they want to tell you you're not allowed to like uh, hardcore because the only time it was pure and cool was when I was 16 and then I moved on to become an uh, art architect or a lawyer and I don't have time for that anymore so you're not allowed to say I'm the only fuck you dude <laughs> I liked I liked what I liked when I liked it and there was people older than me telling me it sucked and and I, I never listened to that stuff. Yeah. And then as I got older, there was bands that I didn't understand, but I'm not gonna tell some kid, oh, this shit sucks. Cause yeah. I'm cause I'm old and I don't get it. You know what I mean? And I'm not gonna tell some kid nowadays that yo, you can't wear an agnostic front shirt. I saw them in 86. That just means I'm old. Yeah. That doesn't mean shit. I want people to get into music. I want people to get into new bands and I want people to get into the classic bands. Amen. Love that. Love yeah, that. Absolutely. So you mentioned CBs. Um, you know, I, I'm a, a little bit younger, so you know, they kind of closed their doors before I ever even had an opportunity to step foot in there. Like I had some high school bands who were a couple of years older than me that got to play there, and I was always like, "Oh my gosh, they got to play CBs! Like that's unbelievable!" And like being a Long Island kid, it kind of was a, a totally different scene. Like. Yeah, I went to like Hammerstein Ballroom. I went to the Mercury Lounge. I like went to shows every once in a while in the city, but like that wasn't really my scene. So like, what what was that like when you know? First of all, playing shows there, and then like when it did unfortunately you know close its doors. Oh, it was a great place. I mean, like you know, I had two phases of my life there. I had from uh, you know. 15 16 till i was 26 where i was a fan going there and um then as a musician starting to get into these bands where i was playing there and i remember the last time i was there we played the last hardcore matinee Maball played it we couldn't use the name because there was some politics going on with somebody not wanting us to be there and whatever so we we were under ball of destruction but it was it was AF and it was uh, sick of it all and all you know they brought everybody on that could play the show, and I remember at the end of the night, um, once everybody was gone and I was I'd been across at the bar, and I came back because I left my gear in there and I came in and the place was empty and the lights up, and when you see a place with the lights up that you're used to being, you know, dark as anything, I'm standing there and I'm like. You really see the age on it and the layers of spray paint and spit and sweat and the flyers that are over the other flyers and the stickers and the 
And I really, I had a moment where I'm like, man, like I, I, a part of me grew up in this place. Like not, you know, there's some people that like Freddie from Mad Ball, he was going there when he was seven years old. So I can't, yeah. I'm not saying on that context, but you know, I, I had a huge portion of my life going to that place on the regular and it was pretty emotional. I took some pictures with the lights up and I have them, you know, to this day. Um, it was, a, it was a special place, but that doesn't mean it's the only, again, like I don't have a right to tell somebody now, you know, they're doing shows at Amityville Music Hall on Long Island here. Yep. Um, there's, there's kids. Um, my friend's niece is talking about this basement they're doing shows in um, on Long Island that they go to every weekend. Think of the scene for those kids and how amazing that is for them. And, and so they're going to grow up hopefully, and I, and tell people like, oh, when I was your age, I was going here, but don't try to sell it like that's the only thing that's cool and what you're doing is not cool. Yeah, I'm not telling anybody that, oh, you think you're having it. We went to CBGB's and we went to the, the pyramid and we went to A7. There's a bar. There's a club. A7 is the birthplace of hardcore. I never saw one show there. You know? Uh, yeah. Does that make me inferior to somebody that no, it's just I that wasn't my that wasn't my time. It's it's like the same thing in in where where I'm from in Miami. Like I I tell people all the time. Like I went to go see like you know AF and Madball and sick of it all at like the Polish American Club down there. Yes. And people nowadays are like, "What the fuck is the Polish American Club?" Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, it's this old just kind of club where all these old people would just go and it would turn it into hardcore events or like um the what was the 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 doghouse that was in uh, Overtown in Miami." They used yeah. to do like eulogy fest there all the time. Yeah. Club and Q, I, Club Q, yes. Yeah. I played and, Club Club Q. Um, what was the Lauderdale one? Um, Culture Room or yes, the, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I we we were just on with another with a, another pop punk band like a few episodes ago, and we were we were talking about the show that uh, we accidentally got them banned from that venue going forward because we were jumping off the balcony into the crowd nice. um but like it's the same thing like i i tell people about this one because i like i like telling people go to shows you like you never know what you're going to experience there and especially yeah. like you know anytime I, I talk about you know agnostic front anytime i talk about Madball, and and i and especially when i'm talking to you know, someone who grew up like me, who grew up in, and you know, I grew up in a Hispanic household. I grew up in a very like Cuban, you know, American family. And I tell people, I'm like, I'm like, listen to Madball, listen to Agnostic Front. I'm like, they are like, they grew up like just like us. They're Cuban American, they're Colombian American. Like, go listen to them. Like, just because it helps when people have, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? when people can see like, Oh, it's representation. not it, representation. Yeah. That's what I'm sure. looking for. And I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, just get into them. You know, they're the OGs of the scene, but I'm like, I got into hardcore because of them that grew into metalcore, that grew into like everything else that I listened to is all stemmed from, you know, one time listening to, you know, Freddie on stage go like, you know, telling everybody like, where the hell are all my Cubans at? Where the hell are my Colombians at? in spanish now to be like holy shit like this is perfect like i love that yeah um and it, it it just goes to the scene it's an inclusive scene and you know we we don't need we don't need those gatekeepers like that's it's bullshit like the scene is so is so inclusive when you actually get into it and dive into it 
and it's just a small population of those guys that are kind of like trying to ruin it for everybody else. Yeah, it, it can be both. It can be mm-hmm. both. But yeah, I love seeing I love seeing like, you know, people positively going to a lot of shows, especially in an age now where, you know, nobody people just sit home and, and game or stare at their phone the whole night. Or watch um, shows on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. So get out get out and, and be a part of something. Um, it's you know it's a it's it's a great great uh, experience, especially if you're of that age group. You're you know in your late teens, early twenties. Get involved. Mm-hmm. Tell people all the time. Go up to Philly. Go to this is hardcore for 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 a year. Go check it out. You know what's a what's a hockey parallel is the same thing. Like so, my greatest years going to Ranger games with my season tickets was the nineties and the and the early two thousands. Like we had. In the 90s and around that time period, I'd go to a game. It would take me 20 minutes to say hi to everybody in my section. I knew everybody mm-hmm. in my section, and I knew the guys in the other section, and I knew these guys and whatever. And we had a huge scene up there. I mean, I know I've been to people's weddings. Uh, people met, you know, we made lifelong friendships up there. And now when I go to a game, I don't know anybody there anymore this is why another reason i gave up my tickets because you know people moved on after years and years and years mm-hmm. and it would be very easy for me to tell some 20 year old who's going to the who's got his season tickets now oh well you know you missed the good old days of the blue seats you know back when we were you know you could still smoke a joint up here and they you know serve <laughs> beer until the end of the game and uh, it's not my place to tell somebody that they're in the they're in their moment right now where yep. this is like this is the this team is there. They're gonna remember this team the rest of their lives. So you just that again, I'm, I'm railing on this theme. No, I, I love You're, that. Because yeah. I, I can relate because you know, I'm I never experienced the dynasty years as an Islander fan. I wasn't born yet. And a lot of those dynasty era fans for the Islanders are huge gatekeepers. And like when, you know what that means? They're old. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> when I grew up and I, like, really started to appreciate hockey, like, my first memory of the Islanders is the Fisherman logo. Yeah. And those Dynasty-era fans will go and die on the hill saying that that was just the worst thing ever to happen to the Islanders and everything, right. where here I am as a young kid, like, those are happy memories. Like I loved that logo. I, that was my first introduction really to the Islanders. And then like, they, they just will always gatekeep that. And I'm like, you don't understand. Like you're, you're segregating some of the fan base from being able to just come together and, and just appreciate all things Islanders. Like it's a, just a logo at the end of the day. Like, I don't know why they get so heated about it. And yeah, you know, now it's back this year and they're still now they're just it, it, it ignited the flame again. And they're like, that's why we're not good. It's because they brought the fishermen back. It's like, shut up, shut up. Nah, it, it's yeah. Everybody's everybody's perception. You know, your, your formative years are 16, 17, 18. Mm-hmm. The music that, that you were into at that moment is going to be with you the rest of your life. You, those kind of things, you're going to find the things that inspire you in a way that will never inspire you again the rest of your life you'll you'll like stuff and you will you know you'll move on and you'll have different interests and hobbies and stuff but those those years are when you're really gonna 
um, you know, those are going to stay with you forever. And you're always going to see those as amazing. And, and the, the goal is to not judge, judge other people for what, what they're experiencing at that time in their lives. Exactly. So what you're saying is significant other by Limb Biscuit is going to be part of my life for sure. ever. Sure. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Dude. I love it. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. I don't judge any. I almost. I judge almost no music. <laughs> I really don't. I, and I finally got old enough where yeah, there's music I don't get. Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh, what are these? What are they seeing this? Like, very little, you know, guitar oriented music bothers me, but. Like what what's happened to hip hop for me in the last ten years is just yeah. I don't get it. It makes no sense to me. But I'll acknowledge. Look, that's your thing. Run with it. I, I'm a, I'm an old man now, so you make fun of me, man. I don't get it. But uh, you know, to me, it just doesn't make sense. I don't get it. But the same thing. When I was a kid, I had the older generation going, "Oh, that's just a bunch of noise. They're all screaming. What are you like that crap for?" You know, they didn't get it. So are there any current like hardcore bands, maybe even like Long Island or New York hardcore bands that you have recently been introduced to that you're like, you know what, these guys are doing it. Yeah, you know, it's that's going to be tough for me, man. Uh, Again, like I don't get to as many shows as I used to. And when I get out, I'm going to see my peers. You know, I'm going to see the guys that, uh, you know, I mentioned that, you know, the bands I toured with all those years and the bands that I, I, I'm fans of. Um, and there's a lot of bands that I, you know, was fans of and then became friends with. Um, I, if I'm at a show, you know, if I'm at a local show here like AMH or, uh, uh, you know, a smaller place like that, I'll always pay attention. You know, I always check bands out. But, um, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not up on on the, the hot new hot new bands it's tough I, I get that but um one other question i'm just curious you know we before we move on away from the venue talk you know my venue growing up on long island was the downtown did you guys ever have a chance to play there oh yeah oh yeah yeah we played there several times um and i would go there you know again madball i want to say madball played there at least three times maybe four um, and then whenever, uh, sick of it all, whenever Agnostic Front, whenever, uh, you know, a, a metal show would come through there, I was there on the regular. I loved that place. That was a moment in time for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that really was such a special place, especially since like the early 2000s, I felt like were kind of like the peak for alternative music. Like, it, it, it maybe because I came from like the pop punk world because like pop punk was in like movies, it was in video games, it was on actually TV, and yep. then like to have a venue in small Farmingdale where all of these bands that like were becoming national bands would come and play like almost every there was almost a show there every single night. And like Tom yeah. and I would because we went to high school together, we would just like leave high school and drive over to. Farmingdale and sometimes not even know awesome. what band was playing and just go to a show because yeah. it was almost every single night. Yeah. And how old were you? So this is probably 15, 16. Yeah. That's the, yep. those are the years you do that. Yeah. And that's, that for me was CBGB's. Yep. We went to CB's every Sunday, regardless of who was playing. And even if it was bands we didn't like, we'd just go down there and hang out. 
and just and hang out outside or whatever. So that was your that was your moment where you went to every you know. Well, what are we doing? Let's go. Yeah, let's go. Um, it was either like, all right, let's go to Looney Tunes, and if yeah. we weren't going to Looney Tunes, we were going to to the downtown. Yep. Yep. And then after the downtown, I could give you the lineage of Long Island venues. So when I was a kid, it was the Sundance in Bayshore. And then after the Sundance club, right in, I'm in, I'm from Huntington. Okay. Um, there was the Roxy, but the Roxy had its heyday years when I was living in Manhattan and I was, I was living in the city. So I didn't get out here that, that often anymore. So I, the, Roxy was only around maybe three, four years, um, but they were having, I remember Biohazard headlining there all the time. Um, there was a lot of big shows there. Um, and then after the Roxy, um, you got, let's see, so the Roxy was the PWAC, um, which is another place that, you know, I don't know if you know that. It was just a space in, uh, I think, Nassau County on the South Shore, maybe Lindenhurst. I, I, I went there only once or twice. And I was too young to even know where the hell I was going. Um, the PWAC is one of those places that that was like a moment in time for a lot of people. That was like VOD's uh, when VOD was really exploding on Long Island. Um, and that the PWAC. And then after the PWAC, I want to say was, yeah, getting on to like downtown. Um, the downtown after the downtown was the crazy donkey. Yep. Um, and then after the crazy donkey, um, was Revolution um, at the bottom of 110 in Amityville, and then um, and then you got AMH, which is which is the one now. Yeah, and well, it's actually crazy now. The place on Long Island that is slowly like really doing some special things is a VFW hall in Massapequa. Sure, sure I've been to that. I it's saw. Like- uh, I didn't actually see the show. <laughs> I went down there. My buddy was over from England. And texted me towards the end of the show. He's like, oh, I'm on Long Island. I'm like, why didn't you tell me? I would have come down there. So I jumped in my car. And by the time I got there, the show was over. But I wanted to meet, see my buddy and have a beer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, VFW halls have been a staple in underground music forever. Forever. Yeah. Forever. And they kind of went away. And then to to see like Long Island, because they lost so many venues on Long Island, like, you know, Revolution, like you mentioned, closed down, and there yep. really weren't many places other than AMH. And then you have, like, the Paramount and Hunted Team, sure. which is a little too big, a little too fancy for some of these bands. So, like, to see the VFW halls coming back, it's kind of, yep. like, refreshing. It's like, those kids, they're doing it. <laughs> and basement shows, man. I, again, yeah. I told you, my, my friend's niece is telling me about, oh, we go here, we go to so-and-so's, and they, they name the place. You know, it's got a name, but it's somebody's house. Yeah. You know, like, I love that. That's that's where this all came from. It's the roots of this music. Now, another quick one. Did, did you ever play the Milestone in Charlotte? No, not that I know of. Okay. Because that place is like you walk in and you just feel like history. It's it's okay. It's been around since 1969. Cool. And it's just beautiful. And it's in like a residential area you would never guess that it's a music venue and it's such a cool spot like you know charlotte's not really my scene and i'm 35 years old so i'm not going to shows as much as i used to so i recently got a chance to go there and i was like this place is so punk rock and so awesome (sighs) nice and and, you know there's a lot of there's also a lot of stuff that didn't cross over into hardcore 
-hmm. there's punk venues around the country that didn't do you know they did more punk and lighter stuff than that so maybe they didn't want the big you know the the big mosh shows coming through so much yeah, yeah. i think i think the milestone had like i think nirvana had played there when they were like first touring like they had like a few other like grunge and other punk bands play there i didn't look too much into like their the alumni that played there but i was like i looked at some of the pictures i was like this is gonna be a cool uh a cool little oh, spot yeah. it's carolina's i carolina's i remember um ground zero in spartanburg south carolina yes um i remember we played cat's cradle in chapel hill mm -hmm. and i was psyched about that because i'm like oh this is where michael jordan went to school like this is this is i remember you know tar heels or whatever right tar heels yep mm -hmm. yep um um trying to think carolinas were 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 never really uh we played uh oh ziggy's in winston-salem i played that once with scarhead that was before madball um but yeah carolinas were never like you know super great for us we, we would have we would have good shows but never anything like you know just completely off the hook absolutely so I guess before we, we let you go, um, I, I know you're you're still connected in the in the music world and you're doing some producing. So I'd love to to hear a little bit about like kind of what you you're doing these days. Sure, um, I, you know I went to school for recording, and so I was always uh, you know I was always a part of that side of the the glass. You know I played um, and recorded, but I also you know my background was in the production side of it, um, which went by the wayside once I started playing and touring again. Uh, I mean, in touring. Um, and then I want to say about, uh, about 2008, nine, I started getting interested. I'm like, you know, this would be something I, sh I should really do because it's something I can do after my mm -hmm. touring career and, and stay in, in. And that's how it's proved to be. Um, so I don't have a huge discography, but I've done about uh, seven or eight bands um, over the years. I've done, uh, did a couple of releases, uh, EP and a full length from an Italian band from Rome called Strength Approach. Um, I recorded a, I, I, when I say I recorded, I produced, um, I usually, I don't work as an engineer. I work with an engineer, but my, as a producer, I try mm -hmm. to work more on the like the per, the performance aspect and the the overall picture of a of a production. Um, um, I did. I've done um, all for nothing from um, uh, from Holland. Um, and then the most recent thing I did was um, this this band's from Tel Aviv. They reached out to me. This band's called Eternal Struggle. Um, they reached out to me right before I ended up parting ways with Madball and uh, we were talking a little bit. And then um, when the, when the band separation thing happened, it was uh, they, you know, I was like, Oh, let's do this. And they wanted me to do an EP with them. And I kind of pushed them. I was like, well, let's do a record. Like, yeah. get, you know, put more stuff together and let's do a record. And um, I was very interested in that because it was someplace I'd never been. Um, was the Middle East and um, went over there. That's the most recent thing I did. I went over there in 2019 and uh, recorded a record that came out uh, two years later, 2021, I believe. That's sweet. That, that's not a bad place to have to go work remote either. Yeah, it was awesome. 
how, how is that? Like, how is kind of like experiencing like metal and hardcore in, in other countries? Cause I know you've toured multiple times outside of the country and you've done a lot of production with bands, you know, that are, that are not necessarily from the United States. Like how is that? And how is kind of like hardcore viewed in some of these other countries? Uh, you know, it's, it's a worldwide genre now. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, you know, you were talking about this, like New York and Boston. Like when I was a kid, there was distinct little cul-de-sacs of scenes in those cities because the the media didn't get media, meaning like the, the, the music. Yeah. It was so hard to get. Like I, I'm on Long Island here. We had to get on the train and go to Manhattan to go to all the record stores to find all this stuff. Yeah. You couldn't get any hardcore on Long Island. Nobody had that. So, you know, then the internet came along and for all the, you know, horrible things that the internet ushered in, one of the best, one of the greater things about it is now, if you want to hear a certain kind of music, you can be in South Africa, you can be in, uh, you know, Russia, you can be in uh, anywhere on the globe and just go online and find it and download it and check it out. So you've got music, you've got hardcore metal, uh, metal is everywhere. Yeah, but, I mean, you got hardcore on every continent of this planet, um, and I was that was one of the the most satisfying and the most fulfilling things of my years as a touring musician were uh, was the the travel. I, you know, yeah. I've been to fifth over fifty countries um, on every continent except Africa, and um, you know the music is what brought everybody together. That's that's. Uh, it's it truly is a global scene now, hardcore and especially metal. So I yeah. guess my one final question then, since you mentioned you know how you've traveled the world, you know many times over, ha- have you been able to while you're on the road catch some pretty cool hockey games like in some of those European countries or even like you know there's hockey now in Australia, there's hockey in yeah. England. Like, have you been able to catch any of those games? Uh, unfortunately, uh, I also got bit by the football bug when I was starting to tour there. And I'm saying soccer. Soccer, football. okay. Um, that's been the thing that I really went to a ton of games because it's easier in Europe. Because hockey's, hockey's not as big, nowhere near as big as football overseas. Yeah. Um, I should have done better. I've been to one hockey game outside of uh, North America, and it was, believe it or not, it was in Hungary and it was in Budapest um, because there's a, there's a guy that I knew from the promotion team every time we would play Budapest, who's a huge hockey fan. He plays huge Ranger fans. So he would always want to talk hockey to me. And we were coming in one night, we were going there and a, a day or so before he reached out, he's like, yo, there's a game um, the night you guys play. Do you want me to take you? It doesn't conflict. You know, I can get you back before the show. So I went, and I mean, this 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 rink wasn't even an arena. It was like a rink, like, you know, you'd go to by your town um, with, like, four rows of, of bleachers. But it was cool. I saw one game. If I had it to do over again, yeah, man, I would have liked to have gone to some DEL. Um, I'd love to see a, a game in, in Sweden, uh, Finland. I guess there's, if I think about it, we, you know, the Scandinavian countries where hockey's the biggest, we never hit those in the winter, you know, for for yeah, obvious, obvious reasons. reasons because of the wind, because of the the weather. We would hit those mostly in the uh, 
summer. And and generally, a lot of European touring does take place in the in, in the, the summer and the spring. So it wasn't like we were over there that much. I mean, we did a lot of winter touring, but I you're right. I never. <laughs> I got a funny story real quick. I'll tell. <laughs> I was going to. I was in. I was in Berlin the day before we started a tour. And I was going to go, I had a buddy of mine who's from Philadelphia who lives in Berlin and he knows me that I like hockey. Um, but I was going to see football in Berlin on this off day before we started our tour. And I text this guy, I'm like, Hey, I'm in town. We're going to the match. Do you want to meet us out there? Me and a friend. He's like, yeah. Okay. I'm like, what? I'm like, he's like, what time? All right. Well, I'll be there. Uh, and so, we get out. This is the, the Berlin Football Club, Hertha uh, BSC. Uh, they play at the Olympic Stadium. And so I get out there with my friend, and he's calling me on the phone. He's going, where are you? He's like, dude, I can't find you. I'm like, we're right by the ticket ticket uh, bank, you know, where you buy your tickets, the ticket windows. I don't see anybody here. I don't know what's going He went to the Berlin Ice Barons. <laughs> he, he was convinced that I was, a, as a hockey fan, that's what I meant. So he's like, "Oh, I'll be right there." And he jumped on the on the metro. And, but shame on me for not getting to more games over there. I should have. And and I'm, you know, I still travel plenty. I, I'm going to make a point of it one of these days. At least at least hit like a a Czech game or a Sweden game or a Finland yeah. game or Germany. That'd be sweet for nice. sure. So I I know we've kind of we've kind of been talking for a little bit over an hour now in. Uh, Definitely, we I could go on for another three or four hours talking about all this stuff. But uh, definitely want to to have you plug away like any projects that you're currently working on. Um, I know like we were talking a little bit before the podcast about a really cool one that you're kind of working on, like a collaboration project with a few musicians. And uh, just kind of plug away on like any projects that you're recording, even in the studio right now, just uh, to help sure. them out. The, the the focus for me right now is this this Israeli band. They're called Eternal Struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, please check them out. And I've, uh, they have a manager, but I've kind of taken to being like, maybe mentoring, as you would say, which makes me sound like a pompous, egotistical <laughs> jerk off. But, you know, like just trying to help these guys. I think they're a really, really great band. And they're in a part of the world where there's not a lot of, they have, they don't have a lot of options. They play in Tel Aviv and they'll play in two other cities in Israel. And they're kind of cornered in. So I'm trying to get them into the European uh, circuit of, of shows and whatnot. Um, we did a record. Um, we, did a, they, we did their record. Um, it was called Year of the Gun. So please check that out. And now we're, we're in pre-production for their next album that I'm going to produce. Um, I, did a, I did a side thing during COVID when everybody was doing these collaborations. Um, I, got in, um, I have a friend that was in uh, a band called Entombed AD, which was the singer from Entombed who went on to do another because they had falling out with Entombed guys and he wanted to do the, the band still. So he had to do one of those little name changes. Um, guitar player from that band as a Brazilian guy named Guilherme. He reached out to me and he's like, hey, do you want to do a song? And I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. And so me and him ping ponged some music back and forth together. And we got together and we put it together with a couple other guys. And um, we put that out during COVID. And the, the thing that we were marketing it as to stand out was that it wasn't a cover. You know, a lot of people went out and did those little covers where they were all in their house playing their tracks. Yeah. We did everything at home. We did all this stuff on our own. 
and um, around the world, we never even sat in the same room with each other, but it was an original song. And we had it um, mixed by a German uh, guy named Kola, um, who uh, did it as part of his, like, he gives these YouTube uh, tutorials on recording. So he, he did it for us for free so he could use the song to demonstrate to his students. Um, so, and then the last thing I'll say, I don't know if you have the ability to put on your, on your website, um, look me up on social media. I'm on Instagram. Um, that's my main hub for, you know, my Facebook is, you know, I talk to people on there, but that's more personal probably. But my Instagram, um, is mitts underscore seven. And, um, I've got a link tree on there. So anything and everything I'm doing, um, musically, creatively, you're going to, you're going to see it on that link tree and, uh, please check me out on there. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, uh, like Mitz, it was, it was a pleasure meeting you, pleasure getting to know you, pleasure talking, uh, just everything tonight. I mean, you're, you're an idol to me, like, especially like in my informative years, like we talked about, like, you know, watching you on stage with Madball was always like a huge, you know, inspiration of mine. And, you know, I thank you for everything that you do. And, I'm definitely going to check out Eternal Struggle. I uh, cool. just like pulled up an article uh, that they did like a few years ago for Year of the Gun. And I was just like, all right, I'm like all for it. I have them up right now, just uh, ready to go on my Spotify. But definitely everybody go listen to Eternal Struggle. Uh, go follow Brian Mitz on uh, Instagram. Like he said, it was uh, Brian Mitz underscore seven or Mitz underscore seven. Yeah, I think the account is Mitz underscore seven. And uh, even if you just type in Brian Mitz Daniels, you're going to get me. Perfect. Yeah, it was a pleasure, man. And hopefully we'll, we'll, I mean, I don't want to see the Rangers go any further, but hopefully we can bring the Stanley Cup over to the East. Let's say good luck to all your teams. And, uh, yeah. and you know, you don't want me to win and I don't want you to win. Uh, <laughs> hey, but I man, want I want the Cup back in the East. I don't want it on the West. <laughs> it's going to be a great playoffs, man. There's going to be some wars. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. Can't wait. Yeah. Well, thanks again. We really appreciate your time. Yeah. And we'll we'll keep in touch, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yep. Take All care. Right. Cheers. Cheers.